Welcome to the People Planet Profit Podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by Marielle Chamberlain. Marielle is the founder of Full Circle Fibres and has joined me today to talk about circular textiles. Welcome, Marielle. Hi, Hayley, and thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to uh, be here today. Excellent. Okay, so small topic that we're going to get going on, which shouldn't take us too long to knock this one over, but, you know, what's really, what is it really going to take to go zero waste, zero harm in textiles? Oh, goodness. And we've got to do this in 15 minutes? Yeah, sure. Uh, really, I think we have to begin with the end in mind. And actually, we can take something that's really complex and that applies some really simple thinking. And the main thing is this. If we are going to use something... It's not just do we know where it's from, it's do we know where it can safely go at end of life or anything that falls off it is during its life, all of it. So it's just quite simply that, like, we need to just take responsibility for not just the beginning and where it's from, but the end and where it's going. And is there a totally safe place for it to go back to the earth, essentially? Easy. So just then, like, um, yeah, easy. So I think if yeah. we... um. I'm having a chat with a few different people about this and understanding the scope of people that are listening, okay? So I'm sure that there are people listening that go, oh, I'm not in textiles. I probably shouldn't listen to this podcast. So let's try and and give the scope of that. You know, if you're working in mining or if you're just a consumer or you just run a small-time shop or you're, you know, all that sort of fun stuff, you go, well, I don't work in textiles. How is this relevant to me? Let's try and put that in perspective. That's a, a really great point, Hayley. And one of the challenges is a lot of people focus on what's on our high street which needs its focus there is no there's absolutely no reason that we shouldn't not hold that high street brands feet to the fire or the absolute tsunami of fast fashion that's available online absolutely we need to hold them to account but it is by no means the total of textiles that's in our system and if anybody thinks it doesn't include them unless they're listening to this nude it includes you right so it includes all of us it also is a massive part of the um, business-to-business transactions that almost every business is actually involved in. And people listening might think, that doesn't include me. And then ask yourself if you bought some volunteer T-shirts for an event or some flags or banners or you have to buy workwear and safety wear or you have a laundry contract. All of these things are actually textile products. You may buy them and dispose of them or you may hire them, but all of them have to have a safe place to go at end of life, even if they've had a long life. So this is actually about all of these things that we need just to make everyday life happen. And there are also a lot of consumables, things like a baby wipe, things like a band-aid or a bandage. All of these things are actually part of the textile industry. So it is it's kind of everywhere and nowhere. So we forget about it, but it's because it's everywhere. Yeah, let's let's not get started on baby wipes not being paper and like <laughs> compostable. <in> the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, guess what? Um, but yeah, that's a whole other podcast on its own. But um, so then let's go down the okay. Let's thinking about when we're buying things and that begins in mind. What are the problems that we that that causes when we don't? Because I think a lot of people just go, oh, but I don't get to choose where my uniform comes from. I have to just go and buy it from the shop or. Oh, it's not my fault. They make me buy the safety vests and we just had to go down and get them out of the vending machine at the thing because we forgot to bring them. Um, you know, all these things that I, that I know that people have heard about and just go, it's not my problem. Like someone else does procurement in my work. What can I possibly do? And I think 
we've we've come to this point where because so many textile products have become so cheap and so universally available or you know a lot of the people involved in buying something to do with a textile especially if it's PPE or something like that especially at the cheaper end they're buying it like they buy A4 paper they're just calling up somewhere that's the warehouse full of all the stuff they might need that might be a spill kit a bucket boots shirts you know screws hammers whatever it just all comes from the same place and it's just another thing on a list and all of those things actually need these questions asked of them. My expertise is in textiles, so that's what we're talking about today. But every single one of those things came from somewhere, was made by someone, and will need to be disposed of at end of life. And therefore, these are these opportunities. But to do it differently takes a bit of planning. And we're all just in time, last minute. You know, we don't want to hold any onto any stock for longer than we have to. So we've got all these metrics force us to try and have the lightest touch on the stuff, own it for the least amount of time because of inventory turns and all the rest of it, which means there is no current reward for trying to do things differently for a supply chain analyst in a business, for example. You know, And they're often in those roles for a very short time. So maybe somebody's looking after a certain category of supplies for three months or six months until they move on to something more exciting than socks. You know, and there might be, you know, buying mining trucks next, which is a hell of a lot more sexy, you know. Uh, so there are just these things that just need to be there that are taken for granted. And because the individual items are, are often quite cheap, people just don't assume that, well, why, do, why does it matter? You know, it doesn't matter. It just goes away. So really, um, one of the things now, particularly in workwear that's beginning to happen is some of the better workwear businesses are beginning to offer take back for example, so that you can actually pay to have the garment taken back at end of life. And at the moment, there's very little recycling onshore in Australia. There is some, but there are some credible organisations that are also managing that to get safely decommissioned offshore. Most of those technologies are more of a down cycle than a recycle, but it is better than just straight to landfill. So that is a start point. But then when we start looking at that and we look at those prices per kilo, we can then start going, well, what would it look like to actually onshore circularity, which is what I work on? And, and what would it look like to actually create a product that we might desire or need from that waste textile? Then we get to the point that what that garment is made from in the first place massively affects the value we can create of take back. So the most in-demand post-consumer textile waste is 100% cotton because that's what we can, that's the most commercial, highest value chains of and, and the commercial technology available to create a fibre that people want again. The highest value, either pre or post-consumer textile feedstock for recycling is 100% cotton. So then you go, well, if we can use a garment to start with that's that, then the value at take-back is going to be more, which means the cost of the take-back program should go down because the people can get more value out of it. Yeah. So then we begin to talk about values in and out rather than the just cost at demand and the other massive massive thing is longevity because the real big challenge whether it's fashion whether it's workwear whatever is speed and how long are we using things for so one of the other things that is in many people's scope of choice is can i be involved in buying things that we can use for a long time if you're gonna make a t-shirt to use for promotional don't put a date on it. Make it so that you can use it for several events or maybe even over several years because the best thing we can do is reduce the volume in the system in the first place, and that is 
everything else I've talked about sounds quite complex, but that, that is something everybody can begin to act on from the beginning. So, you know, I, I like to have solutions that, you know, people can do something with, even with whatever their scope of impact can be. <laughs> and they're really great tips because I think that that's what people, um, a lot of people think circularity is recycling end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, <laughs> and I think that that's the biggest challenge when I talk to people is explaining that circularity is turning the tap off to start with. Absolutely. It's designing out the waste. It's designing mm-hmm. things that don't actually need to consume, yeah. um, resources for, for a long time or actually saying, do I even need that? So, you know, you might have an allowance to get new uniforms every year, but whether you choose to get them or not is up to you. So you might say, no, my uniform's still good from last year, I'm good, and not just go, well, I'm entitled to it. I'm going to get it because I'm entitled to it and I'm going to wear it just because it's fun, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. Um, or if you if you are, you know, you are participating in a, in a volunteer event and things, just ask, you know, why do I need a shirt? Can I wear my shirt from last year? Yeah. Is there a badge that I can put over the date? Like, you know, asking those sorts of questions to reduce the demand at the start can make a massive impact on on later on because, um, you know, like most things in Australia, we have this problem where we take the, the old linear economy of I'm just going to, Pick it up out of the ground, make something with it, use it, and then I'm going to throw it out. And then magically, problem disappears. And in Australia, that's usually because we throw it in a container and ship it overseas, right? So yep. China have said no to a lot of our um, recycling of yeah. paper, plastics, all that fun stuff that we think we can usually um, ship out, uh, mostly because it's really contaminated. We're also not very great at recycling and sorting out our waste streets, so highly contaminated at the end of life. Yeah. Um, you know, textiles, like, you know, I've even seen this, um, uh, like watching documentaries on, there used to be this amazing trade where people would buy secondhand clothes and then ship them into the African countries and they would pay top dollar for those recycled clothes. Now it's just a bunch of rubbish that's going over there and there's these giant stockpiles of waste of just textiles that no one can use yeah. sitting in another country. And that's not really solving the problem, is it? Yeah, that, 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 is um, directly correlated to the change of the um, proportion of fibre content that's synthetic now in the industry. So the global textile industry now uses and dumps 100 million tonnes of textiles every year. Only 1% of the textiles we actually use globally comes from recycled textile. Some of it comes from recycled polyester bottles, but honestly, the best place for bottles to be recycled is back into bottles. Once they go into a textile, they're in a down cycle. Now, of that 100 million tonnes, which 20 years ago was only 50 million tonnes, the proportion that's natural fibre hasn't really changed in 20 years. Like, we're still using around 22 million tonnes of cotton a year. That hasn't changed since I was at uni last millennium. Um, The amount of wool we use is still tiny. It's still in a very luxury category. And there's a few other fibres. So the majority of that growth in textile use has come entirely from polyester. That's oil. That means all this waste, all this cheap stuff that nobody can reuse because it's become so cheap, it's actually a slow motion oil slick. Those piles of garments that get stuck in Ghana on the beach, it's like synthetic seaweed. It's just choking systems. So what's happened is the um, because we've been able to make things so cheaply, it doesn't matter if it lasts a long time, then that also has almost no value when it goes in the charity bin. That is not the stuff that sells seconds to hand here that can create the second genuine second uh, vintage value chain. 
And equally for those garments that were considered high value when they went in those mystery bales overseas, the proportion of garments that are now in those bales that are of value in those markets is going down. So we're essentially just offshoring our waste uh, to a place with less restrictions on how it's dumped. Uh, yeah, that's the stone cold horrible truth. And it's shocking, really, because I think most people, um, I mean, we've got a massive problem in Australia of wish cycling, right? So <laughs> for those that aren't familiar with that term, it's like whether you, you'll put something in a recycling bin hoping that someone will figure out how to recycle it and you feel great about yourself, right? You go, it, I put it in the recycling bin. I did not send that to landfill. Yeah. Um, and then what ends up is somebody else has to go and send it to landfill or you contaminated the whole bin of, um, of products and stopped a bunch of other things from going yeah. to, to, yeah. to recycling in yeah. the process. And, um, but there's this mental thing, isn't there, of I'm doing the right thing. Um, and I yeah. know there's a lot of surveys and psychology around people saying, like, um, they're quite happy to recycle. They're not as happy to buy secondhand or to, to buy reused things. Um, and we really need to get that psychology of people out of that loop, right? That they're, it's vintage. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh. It's strong. It's durable. It's not reused. It's actually, you know, the best, highest quality, highest value piece of, um, yeah. fiber that we can have. And, and I wonder as well, and, and potentially some of the audience on this podcast, how many businesses 20 years ago kept uniform when somebody left a business, washed it and reissued it to someone else? And how many do that now? Well, no, it's not clean. What a ridiculous thing to say. Soap and hot water, it's clean. But we've just, the value of stuff has become so cheap compared to the value of our time that's become so expensive. So this is what we, we just don't count stuff. If we managed molecules like we managed money, we'd have the circular economy sorted. Yeah. We're so good at counting. We spend billions of dollars counting money. And yet, if we spent a fraction of that counting and managing the stuff, we'd have it sorted. You know, uh, it's really, really interesting. And yet, the funny thing is, money actually is man-made, truly. When we really want to, submarines, well, we found some money. And yet, the stuff on our planet actually is finite. And we're managing like it isn't, which is quite spectacular, really. So... You know, the laws of physics are catching up with us. Um, but, but I think the reuse part is huge, the, the mindset around reuse. But then sometimes that comes back to, did we invest in a product that's worthy of then having a wash and being reissued to someone? You know, I remember my very first job in a supermarket and I was definitely issued washed uniform that somebody else has used and gave it back at the end of the six months I've been working there as a student. Um, would that happen now? I don't know. Um, so I think there's lots of opportunities to also begin to embed that behavior change within businesses as well as within our home life. Because if that becomes normal in a business, does that make it also more easy for then people to be okay with it at home? And we sort of cross-fertilize, normalizing, not throwing stuff out if it's still got a value. Uh, the other thing is that with textiles, we've, you know, with circular economy in general, here in Australia, we're missing, we can't completely close the loop on shore at the moment, which is what I'm working on right now. And there's no reason not to be able to do that. It's just, we've, we've almost just stopped believing in the fact that we can manufacture things. We keep telling ourselves we can't do things here, which is really interesting because the technology is completely available. And actually the bit that we need to do to close the loop, which is spinning to go from fiber to yarn like this. So we've got to yeah, go from yeah, fiber yeah. to yarn. We do everything else here. 
that actually isn't high labor. The state-of-the-art technology, it's really automated because, strangely enough, the industry isn't like it was 200 years ago. It's moved on. Um, so there's no just spinning wheels overseas with, like, people <laughs> feeding it in? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, like, just amazing high-tech machinery. And we only need to add one more machine in there, and then we could tear old cloth and then blend that to make recycled yarn or blend it with our amazing virgin fiber. So, but this, this idea, we just seem to think we can't do things for ourselves anymore. And it is really fascinating. And yet we've got space. We've got amazing raw materials. We've got a textile waste problem. I'm not suggesting that everything we need would be made locally, but the circular economy in general in, is exactly this. It's about we need to remake things or remanufacture things. Well, there's no remanufacturing unless we've got manufacturing. And the circular economy at the moment seems to be in infographics and reports and, you know, it doesn't happen in the clouds, it happens for real. And we need to get hold of that. And actually, that's really exciting. Like we've just got this sort of whole open field of opportunity. So um, that, that's what I'm working on now. But it is really interesting that we just seem to think that we can't do things for ourselves when actually the technology exists. We've just got to cherry pick the bits that suit us here. And so, so there's probably a few people listening to you going, oh, but I'm just one person. How can I possibly make Surely this is up to the people who make the clothes. Isn't this their problem? If they stop giving me crap, then I would be able to reuse and it would last longer. And, you know, how does all of that work? So um, so let's, let's give them a bit of an update on um, extended producer responsibility and stewardship schemes that are happening in Australia. Oh, now that is a great question, Hayley. Uh, there's a couple, actually, of good news stories. Number one, fully fledged in action is the mattress stewardship scheme. And part of that is textiles. That's actually been running live for over a year now. And that, and that community has been pretty active as an industry in working on reclaiming all the parts of a mattress textiles, which is one of the small percentage, actually. And then this year, it's just been announced that the federal government got behind a co-design process with industry stakeholders, charity recyclers, manufacturers, etc. I was a technical advisor to the project it's been called seamless and it's an extended producer responsibility scheme at the moment they are um, welcoming uh, anchor brands to be part of that and six have signed on and the process has been the idea is and it's a bit like the container for change scheme here in queensland everybody that's signed on has a fee per unit that goes into a pot of money that helps them fund the sorting and recycling. So the fee has been set at four cents per item uh, because it really needs to tackle volume. You know, sometimes people talk about these things being on value, but it is really, really important that we tackle volume, not value. And therefore it rewards, like if you're somebody that's selling a dress for $300, to be in a scheme with four cents per unit is going to be relatively straightforward to participate in. If you're somebody with a lot of T-shirts at $5 each, this is going to make a bigger signal in the system. So this is the beginning of setting up a framework to track a what are the volume of units coming in or made here, and by far and away most of them come in, but also then beginning to create a pot of money that can go towards research and developing the infrastructure that we need to either sort so that it can be well recycled offshore or then also do the recycling here and create different models of income streams for that. As at the moment, we do have a sector, a charity sector that depends on an income stream from the sorting that currently happens, but a lot of that includes offshoring the things that can't be sold here. And so we need to sort of stage our approach to 
transition from the one model to the other. So it's some really good work's being done. It's quite exciting. So I really, that comes live next year. And from there, hopefully that's the beginning of changing our relationship with stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love that there was, um, that there's so many of these extended res- uh, producer responsibility and stewardship schemes coming on board that's sort of really forcing people that are making, um, making the problem solve it as opposed to making consumers who are sort of dumped with the problem to solve it, um, uh, on the back end. Um, and that's really going to, I think, going to cause some major shifts in the way that things happen, especially if they know that, um, you know, don't make things that can't be put through that system easily. And that's going to start making things, um, come through that, that it, it gives sort of hope to people that are using them, um, yeah. to keep them in use for longer. And then they know that there's a, um, a credible way that they can, um, instead of wish cycling at the end of life, they can actually yeah. genuinely come through a cycle. I think the fact that we have the wish cycling problem though goes to the point that we're actually naturally really keen to recycle. We, we really do want to, like when we look at the challenge we've had with soft plastics, one of its biggest challenges was nobody in the corridors of power expected average everyday people to be so enthusiastic at making sure waste didn't go to the bin. So what this tells me is if we can give people clear instructions on how to sort things at a higher level, maybe we even work with people to decommission. You know, we all know when clothes are beyond being sellable. What would it look like if we were able to say, okay, it's going to be red waste cloth month at Binnie's, you know, wherever. Uh, Please cut off your buttons. Please cut off your zips. Just bring in this. Please bring it in washed. This is what we're going to be able to create with it. Why wouldn't that be amazing? And I'm sure our biggest problem would be too many, you know, too much. So what I've been working on is scoping a sort of minimum viable scale to do the spinning and recycling here where we know that we would be able to find market for the volume that we could create, but also be agile enough to be able to take waste in really highly sorted quantities and not needing it to be massive tonnage. Because when you can take waste in a much more highly sorted way, and uniform is a really fantastic opportunity for this because you know where it's from, you know where it's made of because it's all come from the same place, then we can create a much higher value output. And when you can create a high value output, it makes it a lot more affordable to manage it and do it here on shore. It's when we sort of end up with the uh, grey mush if you like, that comes out of a really mixed waste stream that you're really managing a down cycle rather than a creating an awesome product that somebody really, really wants. You're sort of creating something that people use because they feel like they should. And we're really going to drive the circular economy when we're designing really desirable things that people want. And then it's just a bonus that it's also got this waste stream that it's fixing. Um, yeah. and, and really it's that engagement that's going to take recycling and, oh, yeah, better not waste it too oh, wow, this is really incredible. Oh, and I can sleep at night because it's got this brilliant waste stream that it's recycling or being part of a genuinely imbalanced or circular system. Yeah, amazing. Well, there's a lot of things that are being done that I'm very much looking forward to coming into play and and ramping up. Um, And there's a lot of things still left to do. So I'm glad that people like you um, and organizations like Full Circle Fibers are in place because, you know, that's what's, um, that's what's helping the industry transition. Um, and I can hopefully, you know, like I said, a lot of this stuff, I get to the point saying, I'm going to be sitting there with my grandkids in 50 years time and they're going to be laughing at the way things used to happen. Um, and, and just going, wow, they used to do what? Um, and I think that's kind of testament to, and that keeps me going through this industry. And I'm sure it does, it does you as well. So, uh, Muriel, thank you for joining me today. 
thank you. And I'd just like to say that in my work with Full Circle Fibres, I do do work directly on product, but I also do work with larger organisations that are looking to put supply chain strategies in place to build out those problems in the first place. So preferred fibre sourcing or looking to get the supply chain ethics in place, even if it is onshore, offshore rather. So I am working twofold because we can create a lot of impact when a large industry or a large organisation can create a minor change. We can sometimes get massive impact. And so all of those steps count. So I sort of work in both sides, working with small scale here and big scale offshore. Excellent. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the People Planet Profit podcast. Um, until the next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.